Well, this is the most interesting period, in a sense, really, you know, when we get this first stint at the school. Yeah. All right, so I arrived there, and there were all these rambunctious students, mainly men, but a couple of women, some of whom were going to school under the GI Bill. Mm -hmm. They had been whacked or something. And it was rough teaching those people. They had been out of the stream and they wanted to make up for what everybody thought was lost time, including myself, in a way. Well, the, the uh, you know, camera larger situation was just dreadful. And they were giving us some large, the pinhole uh, problems, which took a long time, maybe six weeks. They were stalling them. And I got rid of that as soon as I could. But they would, I think the, the exercise sort of went, you know, pinhole, and then you uh, did a, a paper negative with a camera, and then you printed that earlier photograms, lots of time with the photograms. You keep coming back to the photograms. And some light studies with paper, paper cuts that have been done in another class, probably. And, uh, but then I immediately started introducing things like, oh, photographing events. Uh, Getting them out of the place for assignments, uh, began to bring my books in to show them things. There were no such things as slides. Maholi had the only slides, mm -hmm. which he had, you know, prepared lantern slides, which, which there are a couple hundred, I guess. And Maholi used slides all the time, and um, he would occasionally come around. He was sick already, very ill. And uh, I knew that so I needed help. Another kind of thing, that place was a mess. And the students thought, immediately thought it was my, you know, it was my doing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. So uh, that spring, that is a couple, six months, uh, about two months later, February, March, April, yeah. That spring, I took my car and drove over to Detroit. I'd heard Harry had come back uh, defeated from New York. He had been living with Todd Webb uh, in New York, he and Eleanor, and uh, Todd was going great guns. He was friends with Bowen Newalls and Strand and um, even more widespread, Mary Callery the sculptor, and uh, well, it was a great success. Doing work for Stryker, uh, I believe, over at that point. And uh, I'm sure of it. He was coming to, uh, doing a lot of work, some work for Fortune, I think. Uh -huh. uh, he came to Chicago, somewhere along, not too far away from that time, and did a whole series of uh, street uh, front, uh, storefront churches. And uh, Harry was a total flop. Had you had any contact with Harry over the 
Train of War? Oh, I think I saw her. Yeah, sure, I saw Harry when I come home on furlough. Yeah, we were friendly. And he'd been active in the... In but the uh, Todd was in the Seabees, you see, in the South Pacific. And, but he got discharged much earlier, see. He got out somewhere in 45, I think. Early 45, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Todd was much older than I and uh, was in the special thing. That was a volunteer thing, the CBs. Todd was very patriotic, but we all were patriotic. I mean, that's what the later, you know, young people don't understand. We quite knew what we were fighting about. I mean, Hitler was a real pretty, menace to us. It was real clear. Yeah, it was very clear. So, so anyway, uh, to the best of my knowledge, Callahan uh, just had no luck in getting anything. You know, doing anything, recognition or anything. So he came back to Detroit, and he got a, as I recall, it was a basement apartment someplace, and he and Eleanor were painting it, and I just showed up. And we always, you know, were glad to see each other and drink. I mean, any occasion was a good occasion for Harry to drink. I'm not much of a drinking man, but, you know, I've never averse to a drink. Mm -hmm. I did, maybe I'd drink more, I'd get sick. You know, I can't, I'm not a good drinker. Um, so I, you know, went somewhere along the line. I said, you know, Harry, how about would you like to come teach? Which he practically died. And the thought of teaching really scared him. And he was just a very shy person. Yeah, and not an intellectual one. I mean, Harry is not, Harry, when you describe Brett, uh, you're describing a lot of Harry. Not, not very verbal at all. No. But Harry had nothing going at that moment. Eleanor did not have a job, as I recall. She may have had, or they both, both may have, you know, gotten one, but they didn't, as I then. So I suggested that we come back to Chicago area and I drive back, and we did. And Barry, Barry got Batchelor's pictures, which I liked, and we showed them the Maholi. Now, had you talked to Maholi about yes. hiring somebody else? Oh, yeah, I talked about hiring Harry. Maholi never heard of Harry. In fact, Maholi had not heard of most photographers. That's a joke. Maholi didn't know much about photography or or photographers, I did. That's why I resent all this, you know, the New York crap crediting Maholi. That's a pile of He knew something nonsense. about the process and making pictures with it, but he hadn't investigated yeah. the, the community, the photo community, as we call it today. He had no contact with the photo community, excepting very occasionally, very occasionally. I mean, his contact with with uh, Stieglitz. The apology was, you know, my suggesting he go see Stieglitz because he didn't know what he was talking about. But Stieglitz had gone long on from 1908. Yeah, right. You, you yeah, we it. talked about that. Yeah. But there are all kinds of things like that. He simply, he, he liked looking at all kinds of images. I mean, truly, he was a, you know, an image junkie. Not photography particularly, but any kind of image, you just...
You were uh, bringing Harry back to meet Maholi. Oh yeah. So uh, we drove, and Harry stayed with me, and uh, uh, we went and saw Maholi, and I talked to Maholi before. And this was the or late spring of '46. In terms of getting him to come in the fall, was the idea? Well, to teach in the fall. Yeah, as it turned out, he he wanted to come to the thing that I had already going of this new vision of photography seminar. The summer session. Yeah, the summer session. Oh. But so he met Maholi, and so he met Maholi. Maholi was not impressed, but uh, on my word, he said okay. And uh, then, you know, I can't remember. I don't think I drove him back. I can't remember how he got back. Anyway, we, Harry and I talked, and uh, he wanted to come earlier during the summer because he hadn't really settled down in Detroit. And, in, and uh, I had arranged the most, one of the most important things I did was to arrange this new vision in the photography seminar. Uh -huh. And the point of that was, uh, one, I wanted to find out what was going on in photography, in a, in a way, and two, I knew a lot of these people and I wanted to bring a lot of names together to get some publicity for the program. And at that point we were even advertising in some of the photography magazines. I took some ads. Uh -huh. in uh, photography magazines. And uh, so I, I uh, arranged the program. Uh, Moholy thought it, you know, I was doing a good job. When it came time to make the flyer, uh, I asked him to do it. He said, no, you do it. So right. I made a photogram and I did the typography and everything. Uh, I could ask him anything I wanted. No, but I actually did that little flyer. Have you ever seen that? I haven't seen that little flyer itself. I don't. I used to have a whole pile of them. I don't know. I'll try and find one. We'll have to look. I've got a couple books there that have some miscellaneous. Um, in any case, Harry wanted to come back and get settled in. He was very nervous about the whole project, so he wanted to find a place, and also he wanted to come near these people. So. That's what happened. I finished up the semester. Uh, I was also uh, falling in love with a girl, Barbara. And uh, now, what is Barbara's maiden name? While we're at it, just for reference here, oh, do we even know? Um, Upshaw. 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 Yeah, Barbara Upshaw. She has a sister at uh, Palo Alto, who has a wonderful husband, um, who. Uh, for a while, had a very important job at Stanford. Then he went with some management team in San Francisco. He comes from the Ferry Morris Seed people in some relationship in Detroit, I believe. Um, Barbara and I, the next year, went out to visit them. Um, okay, so the. Uh, Well, you, as I recall, had Harry uh, settling in Chicago yeah. for the summer. Yeah. Harry came back, and uh, I became very busy handling the people that came in and out. You know, Beaumont and 
Now, I, I want to talk about those two, but before we talk about that specifically, <coughs> let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, you had known Harry in Detroit. Harry was active in the, just before the war in the photo guild when you were you were still in Detroit. Barely. Harry became active after we... In 42. He, he was, was in the Chrysler Camera Club. Anyway, he was, cause his name appears, you know, in a couple things and, and so on. And... Um, uh, All I'm saying is that was an expansion. The photo guild was an expansion for Harry. It came after we met. Right, you, you, you described going to the demonstration at yeah. Chrysler, at the club. Um, and as you said, he's not a particularly verbal person about photography. Well, um, he has opinions, but he... Well, uh, yeah. My question is this, why did you think of him to teach? He doesn't seem like someone to be very well suited to teach, from your description. Because of I didn't point. have the... I liked Harry, and I loved his photography, and I thought he would grow in... By teaching, he might expand his capacity, as did happen, actually, his self-confidence. He was totally defeated when I met him, uh, you know, the, that spring. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I had great I'm the one that had the confidence, and Harry always did. Okay, well, that's, that's what I wonder. And he, Harry, he's a unique photographer. And I was very could be intellectual, we needed somebody who was a role model as a photographer, which I didn't consider myself to be. Now, a different kind of role model. I could do a million things Harry could never begin to do. But I wanted to add this other dimension, you know, of a serious photographer. And there wasn't any around. I mean, Flevstick was a, you know, ordinary commercial photographer and uh, Sokolik, who became friendly with Harry, very sour kind of a guy, uh, but loved Harry when he came. Uh, they became friends and I f fired Sokolik. Uh, somebody else then came, you see, Franz Berko. Franz oh, Berko. Yeah, I know the man. Well, Berko came and he wanted to study. He'd come, I believe, from India. Maholi knew his father somewhere along the line. And we needed some other kind of instructors. So instead of Berko becoming a student, we made a teacher out of him. Because I knew his work from, from Cornet. I mean, I had a pretty good idea of what it's, you know, he was a very capable kind of photographer. Rather on the corny, you know. Yeah. A little bit on the popular uh, side of mm -hmm. the ledger. But he's a nice person, and he had a wonderful wife. They're both very tall. And uh, so they came, and they got a place right across the hall from Harry in this. Now, um, this would have been a year or two later? No, no. No. Uh, it must have been that fall. 46? Could be. Because mm. Maholi had to be alive. Berko and Maholi talked, so yeah. it had to be before November of 46. Yeah. I don't know, Berko could, might have even come before Harry, I can't remember. Hmm. I have to ask Berko. Yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, happy to have them. I was very unhappy with... I never seen Ber Berko's name in relation to any of this. Well, now he's exploiting it. 
because he gave a lecture at the International Center for Photography from the Bauhaus to something. Yeah, but I didn't realize from, that, that he was talking. I mean, anyone can talk about it. No, 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 he taught. Did I associate him with Aspen? And uh, he was also, uh, he had motion picture experience. Uh -huh. So he fitted in. No, he was all right. I'm sorry. Hmm. Well, should we talk about the summer session? Sure. Let's talk about that a bit. The, uh, the, uh, well, maybe we should just comment briefly on each of the people. Um, well, comment, uh, I'd like to just say first, you know, I was very excited about what I was doing there. Mm -hmm. I realized it's significant. Getting them together. Yeah. Nothing like that had ever been done. And I was full of pep then. And, uh, and you know, I, it was tough getting all these people together. And were they all there at the same time, or did no, they come no, in shifts? No, no, They came in one or two a week. For six weeks? Or? No, no, no. Half week or a full week. But, I mean, the thing took six weeks or so for the whole yes. seminar? Yeah, right. I think that is in this, I think that is on this calendar. Let me just see what it says here. It refers to a six-week seminar in 1946, yeah, June 24 well, to would, August 2nd. Right, that would, would be it. Up in the yellow what there. Does it say that? Up in the yellow on there. Right, well, yes, see, that's distinguished from the summer semester. Right, the summer special semester, seminar. Right, it was a six-week seminar, 1946, June 24th, August 2nd. August 2nd's my birthday. <laughs> so it ended with a big birthday party. Right. <laughs> Lots of drink. Now, this was, what year is this? The catalog for? After August 1st, 1946. I see, that was for that. That came out of the spring that you yeah, started. It came out for the, the spring I started, and then this was supposed to be what happened. This was probably the first catalog with your name in it, uh -huh. even though you were teaching... You know, yeah, right. Sulpik was still there, you see. And Hugo Weber had come. He had been studying with Giacometti in mm -hmm. Paris. Mm -hmm. And so Maoli hired him. And uh, we could go down these names at this point, actually. Okay, let's do that. Calvin Albert, I mentioned, uh, I'd forgotten he taught there, but he was a student I told you about, you know, the sculptor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He invented something called sculpt metal or something like that, made a little money. Mm. Uh, Arkapanka was there, uh, George Barford, I don't remember too well, Robert Edmonds was a motion picture maker who later taught at Columbia College. Now did you work with him then? Did he with teach motion picture? Edmonds? Or did he leave very shortly after that? Or was he actually teaching something else there even though that's his background? No, he was teaching. He'd been working at the Canadian Film Board and I was interested in that. And, uh, he taught, it, it, it wasn't too important to me. Now, some of these people might have been just part-time, is that possible? Oh, yes, most of them were. Oh, okay, because it doesn't uh, specify. No, I know, that was typical Maholi. <laughs> Marley Ehrman, for instance, she was head of, we had a very good textile weaving workshop. She was very famous, didn't that? Robert Erickson was a guy that was sort of crippled and a marvelous teacher and later went to lab school at the University of Chicago. Very Teach, good. taught in what area? Foundation. The area of art and therapy. Oh. Right, and there was a program only had started for yes, vocational rehabilitation. Rehabilitation. A lot of oh. veterans were, you know, had their arms blown off or were cyclists. 
Uh, Eugene Adaka is a photographer that I remained friendly with. No. Who I had I had nothing to do with him. I don't know what he was, maybe in a night school or something. Well, again, this this list was probably prepared the fall before. Yeah, I this know. catalog comes out. Some of these people could have even not been teaching there when it's you were quite hired. quite true, but I'm trying to think of what Gene. Gene was just a uh, photographer, very good. And he's still in Chicago, or was in Chicago for a long he while? He was, yeah. Now, Joe Fair, is that you skipped over Fair, here? yeah. Is he anybody we know? Or? Uh, I remember the name, but I can't remember him. He, he was a designer, I think. Mm -hmm. Myron Cosman, I mentioned, was a student. New Bauhaus, and was silkscreen uh, specialist. And uh, Taylor, you know, was kind of Maholi's assistant. Nathan Lerner was teaching somewhere in the design area. Frank Lovesick was teaching photography. Robert Longini taught photography. Uh, what? I can't remember. Uh, Lerner Maholi and Sybil taught histories. She ran the summer session out in Simonac, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, well she had quite taken over, quite a bit. The place was actually run by Molly Thwaites, the secretary, and Crombie Taylor. Uh, and Sybil? And Sybil. James Prestini was very famous for you know, those bowls, the thin, large bowls. Do you know what I'm talking about? Very deep. I'll show you one. Okay. Using monarch things. He's taught at Berkeley for years and years. After this, man. Yeah. Ralph Rapson is a famous architect up in Minneapolis. He taught architectural kind of things. Elsie Regenstein was another designer. Nolan uh, was another uh, weaver. Nolan Rhodes was a weaver? No, no. Elsie Regensteiner. Ah. And Nolan Rhodes was a designer. He collaborated, I think, with Maholi on the Parker 51. Edgar Richard was a physicist who taught physics and Arthur Siegel, so quick, you know, was taught photography. Robert Bruce Tate was an architect who taught with uh, people like Ralph Rafson, Crombie Taylor. Uh, I don't know who this other Taylor was, S.J. Taylor Levitt. I don't remember that. Anyway, there's Hugo Weber, who was a sculptor and drawer. My summer half year, he came here, he was so excited about all the strip joints. We used to go down there and he would draw you know, hundreds of drawings. Hmm. Hugo never got focused. He just lived his whole life to finally, you know, became such a drunk. He fell down the stairs in New York and you know, gradually just disappeared. Mariana Willis was a woman designer uh, interested in textiles and cloth. And Emerson was a painter who didn't have a degree. We loved very good painter. He's been in California for years. Now, on this list, which is a, a different version, of this, there's a man named Ralph Weir. Is he on that list, or am I just... Uh, no, Ralph Weir is here. Yeah. I know he is. Yeah. What about the trustees? Did you have any contact at all with any of these people on the board of directors? No, not particularly. I knew Mr. Spatchner, who was the vice president of Container Corporation, and I knew Pepke, the chairman. You met him subsequent to this time? Uh, yeah. During the... Yeah, and I liked his wife and she kind of liked me. Um, Walter Pepke was a tough but nice person. And he was the one that really got this group together. I also knew Morris Needham who was 
head of an advertising agency in Leon Lewis and Broderpick. Had you worked for that agency? No. I didn't know, uh, for instance, they had a Kupenheimer or Vice President Sears or... I knew Patterson. Over a period of time I got to meet these few people. But Pepke's I knew fairly a little bit better. See, here's what I'm saying. The Institute of Design occupies the second floor of the State Oak Building. State Oak, Russian Belgium. See, Moley was always pumping up the facilities and it was always sounded better than it actually was. Well, that's the classic school catalog aesthetic anyway. Well, it is. You know, you, I mean, well, let's talk about the workshop then. Yeah. Industry. I'm just trying to see what the That copy of that catalog, by the way, is on loan from Nathan Lerner. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. You see, that's why Nathan, he's going to take all his stuff. He's got all the material, you know, and he's positioning himself in history mm -hmm. in a way that he can manipulate because nobody else knows the difference. Mm -hmm. Well, you've got a lot of this stuff up there somewhere, I think. You know, you've got various parts of this. Yeah, I but, have some things, but... See, the textile design was very important at that point, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, see, here it talks about the four-year course in photography. Well, that was just starting. The only one that had ever graduated, I, as I told you, in photography was Milton Halberstadt. And I don't know if he got a degree in photography as such. He's very good. Everybody took the foundation course, and so the photography course the curriculum, you know, begins in the second year and actually took everything that everybody else took, only some more photography. Then there was this, you see, the special photography course, four semesters. See, that's what most of these veterans went into. See, and for instance, this is something I added, bookkeeping for these people. For, for photography? Yeah, I found that these people which I since has been verified by the small business, you know, loaning people. Most businesses go broke, small businesses go broke because they don't know where their money's going. You know, they do a job for $10, they think they're making $10 when they may be losing five. Yeah. So that's what that was, and it's in the special. You see, that's where all the students are. And they are tough. Who are the students for the summer session? Were they a mixture of all kinds of they things? They came from all over, all ages and all over. Were there people, a lot of people from outside of the Chicago area who came oh, to Oh, yes. Oh, most of them. Did all the students or most of them come for the whole six-week thing? Yes. How many students were there? Like? Not too many, maybe uh, 30, 40, something like that. Somewhere in there. I can't remember what. Um, See, this is where Nathan was. Basic workshop, product design workshop, product design workshop. That's where he was. Yeah, that's very clear in the catalog. I mean, well, let me flip this over and let's talk about those people. Xerox that catalog, I can uh, make another for you. Yeah, I 
There's a couple other catalogs from a bit earlier. See Robert Erickson, director. Children's class, Saturday's children's class. Mm. He used to run a specialized uh, children's group, which is very, very nice. So children 5 to 12. Help stimulate self-expression and encourage cooperation. Feed per semester 20 hours. Well, it was 1946. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I'll bring the others and you can look at them tomorrow. If you want. I, I well, okay, what about all these people? Um, they're a very mixed group of people. Paul Strand. Who was the first one to come? Maholi. Maholi did a thing first? Yeah. I uh, started out with Maholi mm -hmm. because he was the director of the Institute of Design. He was a world-famous person. And he was a generalist, and uh, he was sick. So I used to pick Maholi up and bring him there, and then he'd do his thing, and I'd usually take him back. He was getting, uh, oh, he was getting all kinds of treatments at that point, and uh, he was very ill. Um, but he. he and the pity is, you know, we didn't have a tape recorder or something like that. Mm -hmm. All he gave some sort of summary lectures of what was in uh, his books. Uh, pretty accurately in his books, actually, what Maholi thought. He was very interested in sort of the optical hygiene, was his phrase. Hygiene? Yeah, the photography would sort of clear up, you know, people's mental images by actually seeing as contrasted to the uh, you know the uh, imaginative made-up pictures of the painter and Mahola used you know kind of a hyper vocabulary frequently and, uh, he was interested in new materials so new materials got him so excited you know optical things synthetic fibers and uh, Plastics and manipulation of light excited him very much. And uh, so he talked about those things. And then I would take him home. Now I had arranged, if, you, if you've seen that, but you haven't. I haven't seen the actual that every, uh, every afternoon there were motion pictures. I arranged a whole hmm. set of motion pictures so that people could either work in our dark rooms. There wasn't too much emphasis at all, you know, on working, making photographs. More of a lecture series, almost. It was more, yeah. Sort of a lecture. Very day. loosely, uh, very infor on an informal basis, even though people delivered formal lectures. I had asked them to write, if possible, beforehand. Mm -hmm. well, some did and some didn't. I think Paul Strand. Rosenblum, one of them, Walter's daughter, I think, their daughter now, did something on Strand recently or tried to, or going to. Uh, they wanted to, I asked Paul, you know, I'd ask everybody to write it if possible. Paul actually did, and they wanted to know, they had found some excerpts from that speech somewhere, and they wanted to know if I had the 
could find the full copy. Well, I couldn't then, but I think I've located it now. I mean, I spend the rest of my life reliving the, you know, <laughs> earlier parts. Ridiculous. <laughs> looking for them. Yeah, or looking for pieces. <laughs> okay. Well, All right. So go on. What names do you have? Well, I have Paul Strand. All right. Paul came. It was very nice. Now, uh, this was the summer of 46, and I was going with Barbara. And one of the things I conceived of was that every... Oh, God! It's funny how you <laughs> things drop out for a while. All right, we were on Paul Strand. Well, right. Paul came, and uh, Paul was very dignified. And uh, as were most of the people, everybody wore a coat and hat, for, uh, a coat and uh, tie, tie uh, not Ouija. But um, no, Ouija's wearing a coat and tie a lot of those pictures. Is he? Yeah. I noticed he's wearing a coat, but I didn't remember to look and see if he had a tie on. It's kind of pulled down That's his side. That's right. Yeah, that was his rebellion, you know. <laughs> uh, Pre-hippie hippie. hippie. Uh, <clears throat> Paul was very good. I, he gave a number of lectures. and the, Showed his own work? Yeah. And talked about photography. It was real mainline, you know, straight classic photography in the Stieglitz mainline tradition. And Paul is a man of great dignity to me, uh, sort of reserved. Uh, but, you know, he, he took some pictures and developed them. Oh, you were starting to say about Barbara. Yeah. Well, we're, I had this idea that everybody who was on the program would photograph Barbara, mm -hmm. whether, whether they're a photographer or what. Uh, I thought that was a brilliant idea because we had this wealth of people. Nobody objected. Uh, Strand photograph bar. Oh yes, everybody did. That's why I'm really, you know, heartbroken that those pictures disappeared. Huh. Uh, yeah, Beaumont photographed her, and Beaumont and I were very good. We're quite good friends. And uh, he knew Barbara right away, and they actually remained friends even after we were divorced. Barbara was a very nice, is I would say, I haven't seen her uh, for years, but Barbara was a very nice person. Um, so was the, Paul would give these lectures and then there would always be questions, you know, interchange between the people at the seminar. It really was a seminar. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was an interchange. It was not giving a lecture and then leaving. Uh, and they would, we would, you know, lots of us would eat together, and whoever wanted to come, we used to go to Ireland's over on Clark Street, the fish place, or some place around an Italian place, and sit and talk for a long time. Okay, here's another name, Erwin uh, Blumenfeld. Yeah. Well, I adored Blumenfeld. Now, he was a very successful professional at this point. Erwin Blumenfeld, yeah, came over having been in the bag salesman in Amsterdam, I think, and doing photography as a hobby. And he came over as a refugee and was very smart and had a beautiful sense of vision and a great deal of freedom. He was what I would call, you see, the European experimental tradition. I mean, it bothered him not at all. It, in fact, it occurred him to him, if he got a, a tungsten color film, then he would shoot it in daylight. 
you know, what does that look like? Because he was not interested in reality per se, mm -hmm. even though he was selling, you know, reality things, namely fashion, mainly has to do with selling objects. Mm -hmm. But uh, he's a very sophisticated guy, and I took him one time, you know, to the Field Museum, and he knew every uh, African tribe 20 yards away. Hmm. Uh, he was very sophisticated in terms of his eating, you know, wines, and a uh, very dapper little fellow. I used to see him afterwards, uh, go up to his apartment. He had a rather dumpy wife who he did desert, ran off with a younger woman later on. And uh, he had, I don't know, one or two kids, and he had a big studio in Central Park, uh, the edge of the park there, I used to go see him. There were always these models around and sort of chaos, and uh, but he ran a simple operation. It was essentially him and maybe an assistant who was always bawling out or something. Um, what kind of things did he talk about? About how to do? He personal? actually did. Well, I remember one demonstration he did. He took a a uh, translucent plastic shower curtain. He may have photographed Barbara this way. I can't remember. And with the light behind the curtain, but on the object, the face, with the face right up against the uh, translucent curtain, which when it was right close, you could became transparent. Uh, you could see a silhouette and a front face, you know, so kind of a Picasso-esque uh, image. And he showed a lot of, did a lot of little things like that. Now the one that came before was Ouija, hmm. and Ouija did his whole bit and talk. Uh, Ouija demonstrated, uh, you know, we arranged that thing in the park. Yeah, that's. I told you about how to photograph a murder. Yeah, how to photograph a murder, and then that was printed in Life magazine. Um, under speaking of pictures, but then he talked about news sense. You know what was news and why he was different from other news photographers and how he earned a living. And then at night, see, he would go over to Clark Street and he would just blend into these bums and whores and you know pimps and. Uh, Drunks of all kinds, and midgets. I mean, there's one. I don't know. He 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 laughed easily and never shaved particularly. He always had about three day growth of beard. He looked like a bum most of the time. Well, the very opposite was Blumenfeld. Blumenfeld. And Ouija stayed over to here one day and was so fascinated, I think he stayed the whole time that Blumenfeld was here. Hmm. And that really is the transition marking time of when Ouija became interested in these optical distortion devices, which I think, you know, wrecked him. I mean, it took somebody, he didn't understand how sophisticated, although he admired and was envious, really, of Blumenfeld. Mm -hmm. um, which he liked, the rich life. And he actually would make fun of it 
like dressing up in tuxedos or tails and that kind of thing. But really, he liked it. I think he finally married a rich woman somewhere along the line. Mm. I forgot I read his yeah. biography. But, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure that's, that was the case. He probably would have liked to, though. Or he would have liked to. I, but he was really unsuited for it. Absolutely. In terms of any kind of, uh, I mean, anybody can be rich, doesn't it? Yeah. But in terms, I, I wouldn't say he's unsuited for it. The, the things that he most admired and envied, he really had not had any kind of training to perform in that role. Mm -hmm. Okay, how about uh, Bernice? Well, Bernice came and uh, very firm, very professional. Uh, Sounds like a like oh, like a so bit too firm. <laughs> well, it was a little tight for me. She wasn't real spontaneously loose type of person. No. Well, I say professional, very common, and essentially she redid, uh, you know, things in her in her book. Uh, and primarily, the thing that I remember, because it occurred several different times, was her complaints against the photographic equipment manufacturers. I'm sure she devoted a great deal of time because it re remains in my memory. Uh, the cameras were lousy, everything, all the equipment was lousy. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no question a lot of it is lousy, but it never seemed to stop most people. <laughs> uh, she was real nut on equipment. Uh, she was very conscious about what she was doing in the changing New York thing. You know, those are the pictures she showed. She also showed, uh, and may have even talked about portraits. Did she show any uh, scientific type of subjects that she no. was trying to work with? No, that she, came later. Did she talk at all about a thing that she was called at one point the Abbott process? Did you recall her ever mentioning something about that? It was supposed to be a superior way of rendering things. Boy, hearing that phrase rings some bells, but I can't... Uh, I don't remember what the what it was. She was very technically oriented, you see, and also very non-experimentally oriented. I mean, she believed that she was classically oriented. Um, she was always trying to improve the process. Yeah. What was the Abbott process? Do you know? I don't know. She won't tell. There's, it's apparently some process for obtaining what looks from two comparison prints that I've seen. Yeah. Um, it was a printing process that opened up the shadows or something? Mm, no. no, its primary primary thing is uh, sort of more resolution of detail, fine detail. No? And I don't have any idea whether it's a chemical thing or, or a mechanical thing or a lens thing or what. <laughs> you know, I've seen two prints and that's all I... Any noticeable difference? Quite a bit of noticeable difference. I don't even know if they're from the same size negative, though. Oh. To be certain, you know. Anyway, there was an article in Minicam on it at one point. You may have just seen that there. She may have not mentioned it. Oh, yeah, I've heard that, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. Nobel. Hmm. Okay, well, what about Beaumont? I mean, did he actually lecture on the history? Mm hmm. Did he give the overview of the surveys kind of lecture? As I recall it, yes. There's lots of projection of slides. 
Now he was was he still at the Museum of Modern Art at that point? He, it was forty six. Yes. Mm -hmm. He hadn't yet been displaced by Steichen. No. In fact, I'm not too sure, but Nancy was not still functioning there. As she had during the war. Yeah. Maybe they were both functioning at that point. Yeah, I don't know when Nancy officially... Because I remember, you see, now that you just mentioned that, when I was at the Pentagon, I came wherever Paul, whenever Paul Strand's show was at the Museum of Modern Art, I came there and helped Paul Strand physically put his pictures up on the wall, you know, arrange them, which is a date. Which is 44, 45, I think it was 40, probably 44. Yeah, that could be found out. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. That's a date that would establish when I was at the Pentagon for me. Mm -hmm. But it was a nice trip, and I went down to see Paul. And, uh, he was hanging a show. Hmm. Okay, well, how about Stryker? Well, I worked with Stryker, and I wanted Roy to come and say what he wanted to say. And he, came and, um, you know, talked mainly about the whole role of photography and documenting, documenting the social and economic uh, environment that one lived in. And, uh, Typical kind of thing that he was... Oh, absolutely. But by that time, he had moved to Standard Oil, I guess. Probably would have been. And, uh, you know, he had different, some different ideas about the role of photography documenting, you know, uh, that most corporate photography had been so dull and so stupid that he was trying to open up the vast resources of Standard Oil not to do just document their own particular technical activities, which is what most corporations do, but to show the social environment of the areas, particularly the foreign areas in which they were functioning in. So they, he was sending photographers abroad and like Russell Lee, I don't know at what point, and Harold Corsini, and uh, they were not—they would photograph the health care of the people living there. Maybe it had something to do with Standard Oil that Standard Oil would set up the health care, you know, or something. It would have. He stretched the limits. He stretched the limits of corporate documentary photography in a way that never had functioned ever, and nobody talks about that which may be, you know, in the long run, more important when you see what corporations do with their photography. But it's so ubiquitous you don't notice it. And of course all those pictures now are down in Louisville. So I understand, but they seem to be miscatalogued, a lot of them too. In what way do you mean? Well, I've got some pictures there, one student went down there, and there were B-24 pictures in that file that I know I took for very early for, uh, I think, OWI. Well, this, the student may have been confused. There's a couple groups. They have a group of pictures in Louisville, which are, um, they're almost like repro prints that Stryker kept of work that Stryker was interested in from the FSA, probably from the OWI, that are not the standard, they're the Stryker collection, but they're not the standard of New Jersey collection. And the standard oil is all in these big books. There's about, I don't know, there's like 80 volumes. I remember volumes. the books. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I have some slides made from those books. Oh, really? Of, and you know what it is? Maybe the student was, there's what, there's one, it's not, it's an aircraft. It's not a B-24, though. It's a, it's, it's refueling. 
you know, standard oil fuel, refueling some air freight. Yeah, or there are some pictures of that. I know. And I have some slides of that. Yeah, of standard oil pouring in the oil. Yeah, which we can ask them. Yeah. Well, let me ask. There's a couple other people here who aren't as well known today. Right, Gordon Coster, for instance. Gordon Coster was an absolutely super photojournalist and and uh, kind of photographic illustrator. Very mysterious. And as I say, I think part of the mystery was because he was married to a black woman at that time was not the thing to do. You never could get a hold of Gordon except by calling a number and then he would call you back. He did a lot of advertising work. He did a lot of work for fortune in life. And uh, he was a master craftsman, uh, sort of, you know, calm. But there was an air of mystery about him. Hmm. Then there was Frank Churchill. Frank and I had been friends for a long time. He was, you know, headed the uh, photo department of the Milwaukee Journal, which, and then he got interested he and Farber in uh, the whole strobe business, and they formed this organization called Strobe Research, and they produced the, really the first strobes for professionals portables and, uh, you know, I had four other things for years, 200 watt seconds, weighed 25 pounds a piece, 10,000 volts, so it would kid if you weren't careful. And uh, they made a lot of money and they finally sold that to Eastman, I guess, who probably started to lose money on it. And, uh, but Frank really knew how to use flash bulbs, strobe lights, damn good journalist, had a group there at the Milwaukee Journal that was, you know, probably the best group journalism in the country. Photographed Barbara in midair. Yeah. I think I've seen a picture of him photographing a model who's jumping, you know, with his Yeah, well, that's what, you see, he was, de he brought, he brought a whole pile of strobe down and demonstrated strobe and talked about the action-stopping properties and a lot about news photography. Uh, Russ Arnold is another name. Gee. Russ Arnold is also a photojournalist who is sort of all around, good talker, also a writer. Wrote for many years for Cal uh, 35. Hello. I guess so. Hello, Ezra. Mother here, did she leave? Ezra, do you ever. Uh, Russ Arnold was very much a guy at that point using the flash bulbs and uh, writing about various kinds of things. So I had him there because he was in Chicago. And For many years, he was based in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And he, died a couple years ago. That's right. He started to go have eye trouble. I didn't even know that he died. I guess I did. I've forgotten that. Um, and actually got, I mean, for what it's worth, I, I recall the latter couple years when he was writing, I occasionally would read it, actually got very intelligent kind oh, of writing. Oh, he was a very bright guy. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of the early stuff is real standard dumb photo stuff, you know. Put A with B and you get C, you know, yeah. kind of stuff. But got into a very uh, almost poetic kind of a thing on occasion. I have to tell you a funny story here. Yeah. I had his son as a student in a summer sort of a camp that I taught him once for photography. Yeah, where? It run by Cranbrook School one summer mm -hmm. in '68 or so. And the kid was completely wild, couldn't be controlled, had absolutely rigid ideas about what a photograph should be, just, you know, 
was very, you know kind of pleasant. Oh, Russ was fairly rigid. You too. know, and um, that's right. In fact, I, his father came to the final show, <laughs> and and I remember, and this is where my initial impression of him was born was, then where I learned his name is he came to the show and I knew that he wrote you know and I was I hadn't actually ever studied photography I was yeah. just I didn't know anything you know <laughs> as it was and and. All these pictures were up, and we looked. We we looked at a couple of them together, and then he turned to me and he tell me about some new piece of strobe umbrella or something that's coming out. And we looked at a few more, and he turned to me and tell me about a new lens. <laughs> and it was, it was a very strange experience. Yeah, well, he was kind of, but not untypical. You see, he was just uh, talked about all the technique. It's like looking through a professional photographer's thing, or actually popular photography, which has gotten better, I would must say, but yeah. not much. But the real heart of that are, used to be old pictures, old ideas, and most of the stuff Norman Rothschild, even when it's dealing with a new idea, is terrible. He's terrible. It's kitsch. Mm -hmm. You know, they should call it kitsch, photographic kitsch. Mm -hmm. And they tend to have that kind of person and writer. Mm -hmm. um, the real meat of it, I mean, their technical thing, like the Norman Goldberg, uh, uh, you know, dissection of cameras and evaluation, terrific, first rate. Yeah, that's really what's, what you buy it for. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a couple other names that are associated with this in, in the article in Pop Photo that appeared on it several months I later. I remember that. Um, I have Xerox over here, actually. You can look at it. Uh, Steve Deutsch is one. Yeah, guy. Steve Deutsch is a Hungarian-born uh, photographer who uh, had a lot of pictures in Coronet, as I recall, and was a photographic illustrator here, and uh, still is, and also is trying to re reevaluate his claim to history in somewhat the way of Nathan. I mean, he made very corny pictures. Now, did he actually come in and do a session or so? I don't think so. What did it say? Uh, let me dig it out and make sure I, I don't recall saying. I mean, could could have. That wouldn't have been beyond the realms of my imagination. Mm -hmm. I was trying to show, you know, a variety of people uh, trying to contain it within the money we actually took in from the seminar. Which couldn't have been too much. I which guess. wasn't very much at all. Yeah. I mean, people came mainly on the basis of their friendship with me. Students, you mean? No, 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 no. Oh, the, the people. Strand and they, they weren't paid very much. Mean, no. Expenses. And if they In were fact, I think some of them probably paid their way. Like Stryker, I'm sure, came for nothing. Uh -huh. I mean, we didn't pay his way. And Beaumont could very well have gotten them, you know, maybe 35 bucks or something. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. It's called From a Student's Notebook. And it, he's oh, not... some student wrote an article. Yeah, now there's some other names here that I was yeah. going Stephen Deutsch is not one of these people here, but then there's this picture of him in the back. Oh, sorry. Steve Deutsch. There's all these three-sentence three, three sentence summaries of what people said, you know, which are very... Yeah, well, Steve Deutsch, well-known for his illustrative, that checks with what I said. This is a special photographic class and listed many of the problems in independent photography faces and how they can be solved. And he talks about reproductions and selling, which is always what he did. Now, I mean, fair enough. here's three other names that appear in relation to that. Yeah. Max Thorpe. Max Thorpe, yeah, that was a student. Floyd Bright. And Voorhees Fisher. Yeah, Voorhees Fisher was a f good photographer. 
Was he a student at this seminar? Freelance. No, I don't know whether he was. He might have made some of the pictures. He might have made some of the pictures, yeah. He later used to work as a photographer, I think, for the Museum of Science and Industry. He's a very competent kind of, well, magazine photographer. He had actually worked for magazines, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and this Floyd Bright doesn't ring any bells? Another student, maybe? No. Max Tharp, that is. Oh, is it? There's an A there? Yeah. It would be interesting if we could track them down because they kept the notebook. Yeah. Stryker? Oh, I don't even remember this. There's one out we know that. I remember that picture. That is Barbara in the air. That is Barbara. Yeah, I thought that probably was from your description. Yeah, that is Barbara. Is, that's the picture of Frank Shershell? Yeah. Yeah. So you just pressed it and off she went. <laughs> well, this is funny. You can keep that if you'd like. Oh, I love it. I don't have this stuff. Because I have another Xerox. I, I dug it up originally for Bernice, you see, when I was doing the work on Bernice. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, all these pictures, I don't even know where. Jesus, they would be really valuable. I wonder if they're still in the files. Yeah, here's Gordon, industrial photographer, works for Life magazine. He, exactly what I was thinking. Best man in the country when it comes to use of flash power light. Likes to use it in lighting large areas. Oh, flash powder, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he would light the interior of the factories and practically blow the roof off. I mean, it was a real explosion. Yeah. It was a dangerous business with the flash powder. Damn right. Wherever you're going to burn. Yeah, Ross Arnold worked for, uh, was interested in flash bulbs. And here's Paul Strand. And there, Jesus, I can't remember any of his faces even. You mean in the crowds there? Yeah, I'm trying to recognize students, but they were people we didn't particularly know. They just came in. Some of them might have come just for that summer thing and never for anything else. Oh, most of them. Yeah. You may have some of those pictures, you know, kicking around. You've got a couple that look very similar to some Oh, of yes, them. I do, but uh, I have none of these. See, I would, I would see that they were made. I kept pushing to get pictures made because I wanted the publicity for the school. Steve Joyce. Well, there's the picture of Mahoney and me. Mm -hmm. Christ. And then Mahoney had died by the time the article appeared. When is the article? Forty-seven. Yeah, sure. Because, of course, the lead time of the magazines is a couple months. Yeah. See, that's all exactly. He did not consider himself a great photographer. His accounts were based upon tremendous curiosity, which he had to satisfy. See, which I'm trying to tell you about Maholi and his lectures and everything. Uh, he was excited about new ways of seeing and new ways of technically manipulating things. He had great energy and enthusiasm. And me, I give, you know, formal lectures here. On formal, rather. And I had thought very much, you know, about when I, I forgot to tell you, when I was at the new Bauhaus, when I went back to Detroit, what I did was to make a list of every variable in the photographic process. After your time at the new Bauhaus yeah. in 38 when you went 38, back? 38, yeah. I just made a list of every, I came out to something like 400 and some odd variables, but it was a fine, very small, finite number. 
but I'd been thinking about it. That was one of the results of studying semantics with Charles Morris. I was trying to think what the vocabulary of photography was, you know, in terms of its technique. Here, the pictures were taken by Art Siegel, Voorhees Fisher, Max Tharp, Floyd Bright. I, they misspelled Len, Frank Lenstick. Yeah, it's Lenstick. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. Well, that is really funny. Well, that's the way everybody looked. <laughs> yep. And this, see, this is funny. What, what thing to remember? That's taken in front of the door of the historical, uh, Chicago Historical Building, where we had just moved, see, from State Street, and that's what, it, everything was in a terrible mess. That's why it was done in this auditorium. Mm -hmm. And dark rooms were barely set up. They were primitive. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was dark, and you had some running water, and that was about all. <laughs> there was plaster dust over everything. Now, we didn't take this picture. You see, this was Stryker bringing a picture. Right, well, a couple yeah, of them look like that. Yeah. The Russ Arnold looks like well, a studio. That was probably taken there, and that was probably... Bernice did wear a beret. No, I think the one of Bernice is one that she uses. She's used that at other places. Uh, Consuelo Canaga took yeah. it, I believe. It's a fragment of one that Consuelo oh, Canaga right. took. It shows the whole 8x10 camera in the, the full print. Right. You've probably seen it. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking, speaking of dark rooms, you mentioned that when you arrived in February, the equipment was pathetic. What did, did were you able to remedy that? Very slowly. <laughs> I began added all my equipment. It was my semi special at these, and I think Bob Edmonds, you see, when it said motion picture, I think he was doing an analysis of motion picture, sort of history of motion picture. Then, I'm sure of it. That's what he was doing. And. Uh, well, the dark room, everything about it, that really did improve. Uh, I let students use my Rolly, I let them use my contacts, I let them use uh, a speed graphic I had and a 4 to 5 view. And uh, the dark room just was a mess. Just a mess. I don't know how we got through that. How big were the facilities in the, when you moved to Dearborn Street, to the new building? Oh, they were much bigger, but they were up on the third floor. See, the uh, auditorium was, we used that for the studio, because it was just a big open space then. And uh, there was plenty of space. The, up on the third floor where the dark rooms were, it was a, kind of a mess too. But we fixed it up. Got running water. It just was this big, heavy stone of the, you know, Richardson building. We were under the eaves. Mm. It was kind of difficult to make anything decent. And we were absolutely strapped for money, of course. Always were. Just never had any money. 